Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan uh, on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Easy for me to say. Lots of, uh, if you if you love Simpsons gifts, make sure you check out Adam's Twitter account. Predators Hockey and Simpsons. That's what you get from Adam's Twitter account. Lots of insight, though, I think. Well, today, those worlds sort of collided when I went out to my car this morning and noticed that, well, I don't want to say that it was broken into because for some reason, very unlike me, I left the car unlocked and I don't remember doing that. Um, but when I went out to my car, everything that was in there was strewn about the seats. Um, Welcome to the neighborhood. Fortu- yes. Fortunately, no, nothing was taken. Um, but it was funny to see the things that were in the car that I forgot were in there. Um, including my Virginia license plates that I got rid of six years ago, um, <laughs> or at least thought I got rid of six years ago, at least took them off the car six years ago. Um, and when I moved to my house, I, I have a big, one of those big, thick DVD binder things when people still watch DVDs. And I had left it in the car and hadn't taken it out. And even that was opened and nothing was taken. So I guess uh, 15 seasons worth of Simpsons seasons <laughs> on DVD uh, was not considered valuable uh, yeah. to this particular ne'er-do-well. Um, but fortunately, well, everything was okay. Well, the, the weather warms up and uh, people are out doing silly things at night. And my wife never locks her car, uh, but then never leaves anything important in her car, uh, except for like old baby bottles that have maybe like a little bit of milk in them from like a long time ago. And that's a good deterrent. I, I recommend just leaving your old baby bottles with stale milk in them because people will open the door and um, that, a little a little wave of stale milk will knock you off your feet pretty quickly. So it, it's uh, it's just part of the gig, man. It's just part of the gig. Unless you have guns. If you have like a bunch of guns in your car, that's what that's what they're looking for. So you want to talk hockey I, instead? I, I don't have any guns. Um, and also ne'er-do-well wasn't the right term because I believe ne'er-do-well was uh, refers to someone who is lazy and irresponsible. <laughs> and I guess it is irresponsible to attempt to break into somebody's car, but it does. I mean, I don't know if that's considered lazy because, you know, well, maybe he, they were, maybe they were lazy because, well, maybe, maybe they were lazy because they just saw that the door was unlocked and decided to go through it. There wasn't that, any broken windows or anything like that. That's the thing. No one's going to break a window to get into a, a car and be like, oh crap, there's nothing in here. Like they're just, they're just checking to see if doors are open. And so it, there's a little laziness to it, I guess. Yes. Lesson that's, learned that's, there. there yeah, lock your, lock your cars at night, folks. Um, all right. So we got a lot of stuff planned today on the show. A lot of Philip Forsberg talk today. A lot of trade talk. Who's untouchable. That's been going around over the last week. A lot of rumors, uh, trade rumors uh, all across all different platforms. Ryan Johansson was back on the ice. The Preds have one two straight, so we'll get into that. Uh, of course, why Adam Bingen hates Callie Yarncroak. Uh, the the weekly, now weekly goalie discussion that we're going to have apparently the entire season between Pekarine and UC Saros. Uh, some thoughts on the outdoor stuff over the weekend with Lake Tahoe, which was just spectacular. Of course, later on in the show, we'll have our Central Division Power Rankings. And of course, we'll get to your conversation with Sean Henry and ownership of the Nashville Predators coming up a little bit later on in the show as well. Um, All right, but first up, of course, we are brought to you, the Gold Standard, brought to you by Jaspers, uh, a fantastic eatery, casual eatery, sports bar, great place to watch the game, grab a cocktail, named the Gold Standard. We have a drink there uh, over on West End. Fantastic food, 9,000 square feet, of course, uh, 
totally safe to socially distance. Great place to watch the game. Grab and go market. Uh, free parking. I don't know if we mentioned that. Free parking. People in Nashville, Adam, don't like to walk places, but there is free parking. So, uh, of course, check out our wonderful and amazing supporters over at Jaspers. All right. Let's talk about two wins in a row first, Adam. And before we get into all the trade stuff, but a 4-2 win uh, at Columbus, arguably the best performance of the season. They follow that up. Pecorine follows that up <laughs> with a 2-0 shutout of Detroit on the road. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what you make of it. It, it, it seems like people are clamoring for, clamoring for heads right now. I'm not sure what you gain if you fire a bunch of people. You could, in theory, work your way back into the race if you win a couple more games. What would you think of the two wins? And um, if you want to chime in on the three nothing debacle <laughs> uh, before that, you can as well. I had actually forgotten about the three nothing game, to be honest. But the four two game clearly was their best game of the season. Not that they had to clear a high bar uh, to achieve that, but they did. Um, and what I liked about that game was I, I feel like it demonstrated the, the blueprint, uh, so to speak, uh, of what this particular team has to do in order to win. You know, none of, none of what they did that in that game was pretty. You know, there were no high skill plays, no sick dangles, as the kids call them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think of Colton Sisson's goal. Uh, it was just a really nice centering pass from along the boards from Luke Cunning and, and Colton Sissons just planted his feet in the crease and dug that puck through. Um, and, and we haven't really seen a lot of that this year. Um, I think John Hines said, I think it was after in between uh, the Columbus game and the Detroit game uh, that we'll just get to in a minute uh, that, that the Predators had more net front presence, net front opportunities in the game against in the second game against Columbus than maybe they've had in any other game this season. Um, and I think the eye test would support that. So I, I like what I, what I saw out of that game. And then the game last night, look, Detroit's bad. And we, and the predators losing to Detroit a couple of weekends ago left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, that was about the game I expected until the third period, just a plotting, you know, slow, unentertaining game, <laughs> and then two power play goals, which is a shock in and of itself. Uh, but Philip Forsberg, after having a goal taken away from him at the end of the second period, scores. Um, I don't really agree with the call that was made uh, regarding the goaltender interference, but you never really know, even after all of these years, what constitutes goaltender interference and what doesn't. It's still completely subjective. Um, Ellie Tolvanen, set up by Forsberg, had a great power play goal as well. Um, Philip Forsberg's goal being disallowed um, prevented the Predators from entering the third period with a lead for the first time <laughs> this season. Uh, the Predators, as I tweeted last night, the only team in the NHL not to lead a game after two periods this season, um, which is usually not a recipe for success, but somehow they've won eight games despite not leading after two periods. Well, and some of those trailing, not just tied, because um, they've only been tied like what, like six or seven times, I think, out of 18 going into the third period. Um, what's interesting is you talk about the blueprint for how to win the games. I think if you package the win over Columbus with the 2 nothing win against Detroit and you sort of say, look, and I think John Hines called it a, a tight checking game. You called it sort of like a an ugly game. I, I think I would agree with you. Tight checking is like a, a nice way to put it. Uh, that it was sort of a low of, event game as Peter Laviolette would call it. Yeah, ex exactly. 
and good goaltending and a couple of power play goals from your best player and some big plays from your best player, Philip Forsberg, who right now is playing like he's supposed to be, have been playing like we've talked about him for years now. He's sort of playing that way. Either A, he's increasing his trade value or B, showing us finally what he's able, able to do and, and carrying this team sort of back into the conversation of, of a playoff bid. So I, I don't know, like it's hard not to look at hockey in a big picture way. Like it's, it's easy to look at it and say, well, we did a great job getting to the front of the net against this team. But like, how do you do that over 12 games? How do you do that over 15 games? Cause that's what you have to do to get back in the playoff hunt. And I just keep thinking we spend a lot of time talking about trades and we're going to do that here in a second, but I don't know what blowing up the team this minute does for you. I realize around the trade deadline on April 12th, you're going to have to sort of shit or get off the pot, but why not let them see if they can work their way back into the race? Why not see if they can pick up a, they got a five game homestand coming up. Like I, why not? I mean, I know fans are anxious, but like, why not just, Hey, let's see if they can win a couple games. And if they get back into the race, they're only a couple of points out of getting back into the playoff contention. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I know they have to think big picture at five Oh one Broadway, but the fans can sort of ride the wave if they want to right? two game winning streak, baby. I'm trying to sell optimism here, Adam. Well, as you accuse me of doing every week when we do our power rankings. Uh, it is easy to be prisoner of the moment when it comes to uh, a, a season, especially a season in this in this format where there's a game every other night or back-to-backs regularly. Um, but by points percentage, the Predators are still in seventh and still in seventh place in the Central Division ahead of Detroit, of course. And, and that's one thing to keep in mind too. Um, when you are looking at the standings, sort it by points percentage, don't sort it by total points because most likely not every team's going to end up playing 56 games. And as we saw last season, point, uh, playoff positioning is going to be determined by points percentage, not by total points. So for example, the Predators by total points are in sixth place in the Central Division, two points ahead of Dallas, who's played five fewer games, by the way. Um, but yeah, no, that's, are, that's, that's, a, that's irrelevant. That doesn't matter. Yes, but they're seventh in points percentage. So if we look at the if we look at the uh, central division ordered by points percentage, Florida is one at seven sixty five. Carolina is two at seven thirty five. Tampa is three at seven nineteen. Chicago is four at six hundred. Dallas is five at five thirty eight. Columbus six at five twenty five. Nashville at four forty four, and Detroit at three ten. Um, so things may seem closer than they appear or the opposite of that. What's, you know, things may seem further away than they appear. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, I, I got you. Yes. I'm trying to recite the thing that's on the rear, on the side view mirror. Things um, in the mirror may appear closer than they actually are. Yeah. I'm on a car kick right now um, because of what happened. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, they took care of business in those two games. Columbus is struggling. Detroit is not a good team. They play Detroit again tomorrow. They play Columbus twice on the weekend. If they this can is, win, this these is your next, chance. Yeah, this is your this is their chance. Exactly, this is their chance to get back in this race. If they can put together three more solid performances and win, and put together a five game winning streak and get to eleven and ten, your mm. outlook is a bit different. Now, just to be clear, and what we were talking about in terms of the long versus short term view. Just because, just if, if just because they might go on a five-game winning streak, doesn't mean that the Predators shouldn't still not consider making changes. 
at the trade deadline, but you look at their schedule after that five game stretch, which is Columbus, Detroit, Detroit, Columbus, Columbus. Then they have Carolina, Florida, Florida, Dallas, Carolina, Carolina, Tampa, Tampa, Florida, Florida. That's perhaps murderer's row right now, considering how well all of those teams are playing, with the exception of Dallas, who has struggled. But Carolina's playing well, Florida's playing well, Tampa's playing well. So this is, I agree with you. I think this is, this might, this next, these next three games might be the Predator season. Like, I know that seems extreme, but if they can pick up points in these next three games or wins rather in these next three games and and start that hellacious stretch at 11 and 10, you know, they're not in a bad spot, all things considered. Yeah. I I think that's the point is you can hold two things in your mind that you're probably going to have to sell some pieces at the deadline to try to start rebuilding because you're not going to win a cup with this team. Okay. But also, Hey, let's see if they can win some games. Let's enjoy the ride. You got a two-game streak going. Let's see what it means. Philip Forsberg is dominant right now, and we can transition into what he means to this team because I believe it was was it Elliot Friedman that reported that that the untouchables for the Nashville Predators were Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, and Pekka Rene. That did not, of course, include Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, and so there's been a lot of talk about Philip Forsberg. And I, like, just ride the wave and see what they can do. I think this is a, an opportunity to find yourself back into the conversation. It doesn't mean you're going to go on a cup run, but as John Hines and David Poyle, and I believe Sean Henry told you last week, the regular season in the 2017 team was pretty up and down, pretty volatile and pretty close to not being a playoff team. So uh, I'm not suggesting that they've got the people to go on a cup run, (laughs) but it is hockey's a weird sport, right? And so let's just see what happens. Um, Forsberg. I, I don't know about you. I feel pretty strongly about this. I, I do not think you can rebuild this team and contend in the future without Philip Forsberg. I know he's your biggest trade asset. I know you can get the most in return, but unless you're getting like, I mean, unless you're getting like a Gretzky level return or something on, on him, I, I just don't see what the point of getting rid of him is. He, he is your by, he's by far the most talented offensive player this franchise has ever had. I don't think you can get rid of him. Slow down on the Philip Forsberg, Wayne Gretzky comparisons. No, no, no. I mean, like I was going to do a Herschel Walker comparison, but I didn't know if our audience would get the trade comparison. The, the, the Cowboys traded Herschel Walker away and got like five first round draft picks. I I understand what you're saying. I know, I know what what I'm going for, right? I'm just busting your balls, but to be clear, and, and this is important when, when discussing reports, like the one that Elliot had on Saturday, language is, is very important in terms of how, it's presented. So to be clear, Elliot is not reporting that the president, the pre- I said the president, the, the Elliot is not reporting, a lot of P's in this sentence, is not reporting that the predators, there you go, are dangling Philip Forsberg as trade bait. He's not reporting that the predators are even trying to move him. What he is suggesting through his reporting is that the predators would not immediately dismiss a trade offer for Philip Forsberg out of hand, but it does not mean that they're going to move him. And I understand why fans were caught off guard by that, because you would think with how important Philip is and how well he's been playing that if there is a untouchables list and I'm doing quotation fingers for our listeners, um, you would think that Philip Forsberg would be on that list. Um, 
Roman Yossi is clearly on that list because he has the contractual power to be on that list. And Pecorine is on that list for sentimental reasons. You know, your mileage may vary on whether or not Ryan Ellis should be on that list. And that might be the one that's open for debate. Um, but if I am Nashville, which I'm not, but if I was, and I'm seeing Philip play this way, I am in the process of, of, dis- of beginning those contract negotiations. Now, to be clear, Philip cannot sign a contract extension until this summer. Um, unrestricted free agents can re-sign with their own teams one year out from becoming unrestricted free agents. So Phillip's contract does not expire until after next season, but the Predators could re-sign him this summer if that's what they wanted to do. That, that's, um, a, that's, example, a couple, that's a couple of months. That's not a long time. Right. But those conversations can, can be had now. Right. There are no restrictions to negotiating. There's just, you can't put your name on the dotted line until this summer. And if I'm the Predators, I'm I'm having those conversations, at least uh, broaching them um, with Philip Forsberg's representation, um, and and the and, and, most and how and how well those conversations go at the beginning is probably a factor in the calculus around the trade deadline, right? Like if he's just like, yes. "Look, guys, I'm not interested," <laughs> then you then you have to trade him, unfortunately, right? Yes, and or I mean, it doesn't always work that way. I mean. What's the NFL example? It's almost like franchise tagging a guy, right? Um, but but you can't do that in the NHL. But I think of like Dak Prescott, right? Like maybe this is a really poor analogy. Well, Deshaun Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, right? And doesn't want to play there, and it's, it has no move. Like he's got the no trade clause power, and he's like, I'm just not gonna. I'm gonna cost you money and not play. I don't know if there's a perfect analogy here, right? Um, but I, I just to me, it's all about people. And if if David Poyle and Brian Poyle and the office sits down and talks with Philip Forsberg and their representation and starts having conversations and they're nowhere close to being on the same page, that makes it more likely for you to be listening to deals. If you guys are, you know, in the ballpark together, then like you said, work on the numbers, see if you can get something sort of like loosely agreed upon unofficially, and then you know he's untouchable. I mean, I don't, that's, that's just business to me. I don't know. Yeah. And I agree with you that if you are in the process of rebuilding or considering a rebuild and you're looking at the players that they have on their roster and thinking about, okay, which veterans do I want to have around to bring a potentially young group along? Philip Forsberg would be at the top of my list. Um, Look, the Predators, we know. They have had struggles drafting, developing, and, and signing what we would consider to be elite forwards. Um, Philip Forsberg is the closest thing to an elite forward that the Predators have. Is he an elite forward? I would not consider him to be. But he is the closest thing they have to one. And we can toss around that word. I mean, we sports types, sports media types, toss around the E word a lot. Um, but you know, I wrote a story this summer about what Philip would need to do in order to be considered an elite forward. Um, and I think you're starting to see that right now. I mean, 17 points in 18 games is a pretty great start. Um, he hasn't had those lulls in his game that we normally see. I mean, he's on pace for 53 points in a 56-game season. That's pretty good. It's, um, it's, it's elite for Predators standards. 
Yes, relative because, to because, predators because, forwards all time, it, he is an elite. Yeah. I would, he's an elite. This is an elite level season. But elite you know? level, elite level in like the broader sense, no, is like 128 points <laughs> in an 82 game season. You know, Austin like, Matthews has as many goals as Philip has points, right? Exactly. Or maybe more goals than Philip has. I think Austin Matthews has 18 goals and Philip has 17 points. So, so Austin both, Matthews is elite. Bingo. Philip Forsberg not. So we agree, Ellis, Yossi, Forsberg, probably untouchable. Should Callie Yarncrook be untouchable after, no. after the two-goal performance and single-handedly turning this franchise around this year? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, I know that I said a couple of episodes ago that, like, what does Callie Yarncrook even do here? He's like the third leading like, scorer on the team. He, you know, he's the second leading goal scorer among forwards. He's got four goals. So <laughs> good for him. I, I have nothing against Callie Youngcrow. I, I, I just think know. of the, I just think of the scene from office space with the bobs. What is it you do here? And he does a lot. Callie does. I mean, he is an important player, um, but you know, he, he comes and goes. Okay. okay. He shows himself every few games. He has a couple of, multi-goal games every once in a while, you know, but I mean, the coaches, I mean, Peter Laviolette loved him. John Hines loves him. I mean, that's good. That's a good thing, but you know, is he untouchable? <laughs> no, he might've been protected in the expansion draft last time, but he's not untouchable. And, and I believe has exact, almost exactly as n- number of points as James Neal since the expansion draft. I, I think, I think they have like a hundred points and 99 points or something like that. He also wasn't waived like James Neal was last week or right. Yeah. Ago, I, so. You look at the career production since that moment. Anyway, we're not going to rehash that, that old wound. Um, so some of the line combinations, I don't want to go too deep into this, but if you look at Johansson's return on Tuesday night, he's on the third line center. You know, John Hines was asked about it after the game. And he essentially said, I'm not going to break up lines that are playing well. If we're actually <laughs> basically he's like, I finally found some damn chemistry with a couple of dudes. I'm not going to break that up now. And strangely enough, it's Mikhail Granlund playing center on the top line, which is just you know bizarre when you look at it. Um, Duchesne's line, he's got yarn croak and, and, and Grimaldi, I think, right? Uh, on, on the other side of him. So he, yes. they're they're playing well. You know, Johansson with Tolvanen, that's some high-level skill for a third line. John Hines has been sort of knocked in the past for maybe d- sort of filtering his talent up and down the lineup a little bit. I, you know, it worked on Tuesday. I don't know how long you stick with this stuff. Johansson, you can't pay $8 million to a guy to play third-line center. I know that over time. It may work in the short term. But I, I don't know. What do you make of sort of not just on Tuesday night tinkering and with Johansson back, but just sort of the lineup changes writ large across the, the, the lineup and the starting grid for the last, you know, couple of weeks. What do you make of what should be done with, with the lineup? Yeah, I, I, I think John Hines deserves some credit for sticking with what worked in the game against Columbus uh, with those quote unquote, top two lines, Forsberg, Granlund and Arvidsson, Jaron Croak, Duchesne and Grimaldi. I like the idea of Johansson playing with Ellie Tolvanen. Now, should they be on the quote unquote third line, the so-called third line? Probably not. And I, and I haven't looked at that line's ice time relative to the other lines. And I think that's another thing that's important. Um, We were talking about language um, with reporting. This is also important. When we see the lines listed in rushes, you know, Yes, that there's a first line, second line, third line, fourth line. But it's important to look at ice time too. You know, perhaps I don't I don't have this in front of me, 
and I can look it up right now, but it's important to look at ice time too. Um, because sometimes a quote unquote second line might have more ice time than a first line. Um, so I'm, I'm looking up the lines right now as I pull up, um, natural So just to give you a sense of these were the lines at five on five last night in terms of ice time, according to natural Duchesne's line with yarn and Grimaldi played 12 minutes and one second on the ice together at five on five Forsberg, Granlin and Arvidsson, 10 minutes, 46 seconds. Cunning, Halla, and Sissons, 9 minutes, 39 seconds. Cousins, Johansson, Tolvanen, 9 minutes, 30 seconds. So based on that, just based solely <laughs> on ice time, they were the fourth line last night. But I think what you're looking for is balance. And you sort of see that in, in the way that those lines were being played. You could tell based on those numbers that John Hines was, as we like to say, rolling his four lines. Um, it wasn't as if though the Duchesne line had 16 minutes, the Grandland line had 13 minutes, the the Sissons line had eight minutes, right. and the Johansson line had five minutes. Like they they're fairly close in terms of overall time on ice, which is a good thing. It means that John found four lines that he feel like he felt like he could play uh, with regularity in all different types of situations. So, so, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the numbering of lines. Right. I think, I think using time on ice situational play is more important. And I want to say, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say, obviously the, the Grandland line was, you know, a, a significant chunk of their face-offs were in the offensive zone, you know, same kind like, those are the kinds of things you want to ch- take a look at is where they're, where are you starting well, I can your shift? Look at that. I can look at that right now. So, <laughs> well, and that's what uh, I was, that's what I wanted to ask you about was just the I, Duchesne I like- line. The Duchesne line started 73.33% of its shifts in the offensive zone, according to natural stat trick 11 in the offensive zone, four in the neutral zone, four in the defensive zone. Uh, the Grandland line started 90% of its shifts in the offensive zone, nine in the O zone, one in the defensive zone. Um, the, the Sissons line, 42.86%, three in the offensive zone, four in the neutral zone, four in the defensive zone, and the Johansson line, 37 and a half, three in the offensive zone, one in the neutral zone, five in the defensive zone. So, and again, the, the question isn't like, because I, I agree, I think everyone needs to understand all those different nuances that you're talking about. But the bigger question is, and I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, you tell me what you think here. I, I think for teams that are going to make deep runs in the postseason, there's a clear top dominant scoring talent line or two. And to me, it's a sign of when you're rolling lines like this, to me, it's a sign of, all right, we're having to, to, to sort of patchwork it together to some degree. I don't know if that's fair. Um, if it works right now and you can win games and get back into the playoff race, that's fine. If you can get into the playoff race, that's great. But is it the thing that's going to win you games long-term? Is that the strategy? Probably not. No, but I think it's important to find some sort of chemistry. Think about all of the complaints that have been lobbed at John Hines over the past few weeks, or perhaps even since he got here. Um, but they reached a fever pitch in the past couple of weeks. Um, and one of them is his use of forward combinations. And one, and we talked about this with Greg Wyshynski last week, that one of the things that John has t- tends to do is perhaps give ice time to depth forwards versus riding his high skill players. Um, but if you are able 
to balance lines and everybody gets a similar amount of ice time. Of course, you lean more toward your top players, give Forsberg a little bit more, give Arvidsson, give Johansson, give Duchesne a little bit more. That's good. But I think it's important to have in some sort, in some form or fashion, a clear hierarchy. Um, but also, I, I don't know what I'm saying. Let me start that again. No, no, I, I think, I think you're right. Like I think the, and, and I'm having, I'm having a tough time even articulating it as well. I, I think it's the best thing that they can do with the cards they've been given today. Like, I think it's the smart strategy because you don't have a, a ton of upside elite level talent and trying to mix and match and find a lot of different bodies with a John Hines type of philosophy might be the only way this particular roster can find success right now. But if you're going to go compete with the best teams in the league, Colorado and Vegas and Tampa, you, you got to have higher end top line talent. That's pretty clearly defined. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And it doesn't like, I think it's the right strategy for this team right now. I don't know if it's the right strategy long-term and maybe that's a, maybe that's an argument to, to reevaluate John Hines, you know? Yeah. The important thing is, is that whatever he had last night and the night in the, in the game yeah. before worked. And as long as it continues to work, you stick with them. Um, I like the idea of Ellie Tolvanen playing with a top tier playmaker like Ryan Johansson. Like, I think that can really benefit Ellie Tolvanen. I think you could also bet uh, it could also benefit Ryan Johansson, um, but especially Ellie Tolvanen. Um, So if you can spread it out, sure. But, you know, to think that, oh my God, John Hines is turning Ryan Johansson into a third line center. I mean, I don't know if that's the way we should be thinking. Then again, when I tweeted yesterday that Ryan Johansson was coming back, there were people who were like, I didn't even notice he was gone. So, you know, well, you let's know how be, we feel let, about Ryan Johansson. Yes, we are not huge Ryan Johansson fans of this on this team long-term, but this team desperately needs a talent of his ability to even be, begin to think about contending. You know what I mean? So like they desperately need him at the same time you also might be looking for a way to, to get him to Seattle in the summertime. The Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. On West End, casual eatery, next evolution of the sports bar, fantastic food. Uh, listen, Adam, it's just great food and a great place to watch the game, okay? Like, uh, do I need to say anything else other than that? Do I need to go into any oh. more details? Well, last week I, I sold it as a place that you could get laid if you play your cards right. So, I mean, there's not really, there's not anything else that we can say. Also so. not, also, but you won't get your tushy grabbed either. No, no tushy grabbing. So it's all on the up and up. Uh, the yes. Menu, the menu's elevated, the the atmosphere is elevated, and of course... The clientele the is cli- elevated. The clientele is elevated. The cocktails are elevated. Uh, of yes. course, if you go and, and get a gold standard cocktail, we recommend that. Again, they've got spectacular side items they've got spectacular like main entrees i prefer to sort of dive into the like the sandwiches the jasper dog is spectacular the flatbreads are great the french quarter is amazing it's a bizarre combination of things but just go try it it's like ham and creole mustard with brussels sprout slaw and like apple butter it's very very interesting combination but you you eat it and you're like oh this works it's amazing because you want to know why deb paquette did the menu and she of course is a spectacular chef in the city also Speaking of what's just elevated, the desserts. We have not talked about the desserts. Megan Williams is, of course, a, a pastry chef in town that works for Four Top that is spectacular. They have ice cream and sorbet. They've got lemon curd cheesecake, ice cream sandwiches, which are not your average ice cream sandwiches. A lot of like cupcakes and cookies and stuff in the grab-and-go market, which is really cool. 
but a chocolate la- chocolate layer cake, Adam. Listen to this. Devil's food, milk chocolate, espresso mousse, dark chocolate glaze, salted caramel, and toffee crunch. What that sounds incredible. As someone who has a sweet tooth, I very much like the idea of that. <laughs> it is spectacular. It is elevated. And I am chocolate. I'm trying to indoctrinate my children. Like, I am chocolate over every. If you told me, I love candy. I'm with you. I've got a sweet tooth. But give me chocolate over anything. Chocolate is better than anything, any dessert. If I'm going to use the calories and, and eat the sugar, I'm going chocolate every time. I just want to say this quickly. If you go get a Frosty after the Predators score four goals and you get a vanilla Frosty, we can't be friends. The vanilla Frosty is an abomination. It's not worth your time. It's chocolate or nothing. There's nothing like the taste of a, of a regular classic chocolate Frosty. So if you are team vanilla Frosty, we have nothing to talk about. I just want to make that clear. I, no, I, I 100% agree with you. Do not rate, do not review, do not subscribe. I just, I don't. To vanilla, to, to vanilla Frosties. I don't, yeah, I don't want you. We're, we're not friends. I don't want you involved in this. This is a community that we're building here, Adam, of people that care about things together as a, as a family. And if you go get your, and the reason you wouldn't go to Jasper's, of course, after the game is because they're going to give you a free one. <laughs> if you're going to get a free Frosty, if you want like elevated, you know, next level desserts, you go to Jasper's, of course. But if you're going to go get your free Frosty, I, you know, there is no other flavor of a, like, there's just frosty flavored. That's just the yes. flavor. There's yes. not another flavor of frosty. It's just frosty flavored and it's chocolate. Damn it. Yes. Agreed. There's no reason to mess with perfection. I, I don't, I don't get it either. Uh, perfection. Jaspers. Jaspers. Don't mess with perfection. Jaspers. Free parking. Perfection. You look at the uh, grab and go market. You got the laid back lounge area. You got the game room. You got the bar. You got a sit-down dining area, fantastic menu, just a spectacular collection. You got a good happy hour to go watch games while you're watching the Preds. Really good happy hour. They got the gold standard cocktail. So a lot of good reasons to go, man. Just go check it out. Tweet at Jaspers. Tweet at 440 Sports. Tell us what you think. You know, Jaspers. (laughs) Jaspers. All right. Let's get into Pekka Rene versus UC Soros, our weekly conversation about who should be the goaltender for the Nashville Predators. Um, they both started nine games. Pekka is five and five. Uh, UC Soros is three and five. Um, they've had different games played because they've come in for each other, frankly. The, the numbers here, Adam, aren't exactly close. I mean, Pekka Rene is at a, a 9.16 save percentage, UC Soros at 8.82. Um, th- 2.36 goals against for Pekka, 3.47 goals against uh, you know he pitched a shutout on Tuesday night I if they're trying to get back in the race it feels like this is what I said last week if they're trying to get back in the race it feels like you need to ride the hot hand and right now that's Pekka if once you start making deals to rebuild then I think you need to give UC Soros as many minutes I'm not going to change off of that sort of philosophy if that makes sense we can basically copy and paste our discussion from last (laughs) week into the file from today and I'm sure it would be the same thing I mean Pekka Rene is playing well he deserves the net, and I think that's how it should be for right now. Um, I know how I felt earlier in the season in terms of uh, ride or die with UC Soros, as I said, but if this team is winning and they want to get back in the race, Pecorina gives them the best chance of doing that right now. So, And, and you know, it's a, it's a feel-good story, too. Like, he had a tough season last year. He lost his starting job. He didn't start a postseason game for the first time in more than 10 years. He didn't start a season opener for the first time in more than 10 years this this past this season in January. Um, 
he knows that he's on borrowed time. I, you know, it's a good, it's a feel good story. There aren't a lot of things that have made people happy right now <laughs> about this team, but I think Pekka at least finding some, some uh, of his old self after a rough go last year, I think it, it makes, it warms the heart, you know, probably, it pulls it, it pulls at the heartstrings as they say. Probably read all your articles and said, all right, take, I'll, I'll drink your kale smoothie. I'll drink it up. And then he, he went out and he's playing good hockey. I right, right now. The numbers, are, I don't drink kale smoothies. No, but he, so he, he, he does. So um, he probably he's, does, he's yeah. all like super clean and healthy. He's like the Tom, he's on like the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers diet or whatever, which is how you have to do it. Um, and I, I do think there'll be time once he does retire to sort of go back and look at what his legacy is, not just as a Nashville Predator, because I think it's fairly cemented to your point about this being a feel good thing for Predators fans to actually latch on to. But, you know, he was you could argue he was one of the first big goalies, quote unquote, big goalies in the NHL. And I think there'll be uh, an interesting conversation about that after his career. But that's a time and a place. There'll be another time and place for that. So I, I yeah, copy and paste from last week. I do think the numbers are diff- are even further apart than they were last week, though. You know, Probably. We were, like there was a bad game and then a good game for Pekka. There was like now we're sort of seeing two or three good games in a row, and it now it makes a little bit even more sense for him to be the guy, like you said, who deserves uh, the net. That is for sure. All right, anything else on the last last week of games that we've seen? Um, let's. We, you've already mentioned we glanced at the schedule coming up. Uh, we'll do our power rankings here in just a minute. Uh, at Detroit, Columbus on Saturday, Columbus on Sunday, Carolina on Tuesday, which is the makeup game, of course, from the uh, earlier in the season. But it is a five-game homestand, an opportunity to win some games. I, I think it's sort of now or never. If you're a Nashville Predators fan, you're going to have to pick up pick up some points uh, there. All right, Adam, let's get to your conversation with ownership, we're going to call it. You can read, read the story, of course, on theathletic.com. You had a long Q&A with, with Sean Henry, who was there representing ownership and I don't think there was anything revolutionary inside of that conversation. Um, said all the things you'd expect a, a guy like Sean, who's a, a master wordsmith and, and politician when it comes to doing PR. Um, you know, people aren't happy. <laughs> everything, everything's under evaluation, like all the same cliches. What, what did you take away from that process of talking with, with quote unquote, Preds ownership? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, we all like talking to Sean and, and, and Sean is very polished uh, when doing these interviews. Um, He is a pro. He's been doing them for a long time. Um, To give uh, our listeners um, a peek behind the curtain, um, I did not request to speak with Sean. I requested to speak with a member of the Predators ownership group. Uh, Sean was made available to me um, as a liaison uh, to the owners. Um, So he spoke on behalf uh, of the ownership group. Um, as well as his own personal thoughts as the president and CEO of the team. Um, nothing he said, as you, as you mentioned, was revelatory. Um, I, I think uh, Sean, who we know is active on social media, who's very in tune with the fan base because that is part of his job. Um, he understands that they're upset. He, he says the organization is, quote unquote, angry and confused uh, by the way the team had been playing at the time. Uh, as of last Wednesday, when I conducted the interview, um, and uh, they are trying to be as patient as they can. They do not want to overreact. Uh, Sean uh, brought up the 2016-17 team as an example, not a perfect parallel, but basically saying that that team before they made it into the playoffs, and of course 
made it to the Stanley Cup final, uh, did not have a great regular season, uh, but they did not um, act. Um, they did not make any drastic changes. Rather, they didn't fire a coach. They didn't trade any players, major players away or, or anything like that. Um, so they're hoping that this season can play out like that season, of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the long and the short of it is that the ownership group remains confident in David Poyle. Um, and they are keeping a close eye on how these next couple of weeks are going to go. Um, they are realistic that, uh, if this does not improve, uh, that some hard choices might need to be made player wise more specifically. Yeah. I think one of the big takeaways is we need to reiterate David Poyle and John Hines are pro- like, I don't know if it's a hundred percent not going anywhere during this regular season. I'm not saying that we even agree with that, but I think Preds fans need to get that through their heads. Right. <laughs> like probably like they're not moving David Poyle or John Hines this year during the regular season. I think, I think we just need to sort of drill that home to people. It doesn't mean that everyone's not on the table and that everything's not being evaluated because that's, that's the job. But I do think that's a point we need to sort of hammer home here. Right. Yes. Okay. I would agree. Um, so, and, and again, listen, if you're going to have a liaison to ownership, Sean Henry's a guy that can, <laughs> he, he spins gold. Let's just call it uh, when it comes to answering. No pun questions. intended. When it comes to answering questions. Um, so there, there, I just wanted to make sure we touched on that. Uh, you can go read about it, of course, at fully and get the whole entire transcript there um, uh, with Sean Henry, Adam's conversation, the Q and a, of course, at the athletic pay for good journalism. Uh, all right, let, let's, let's do some stuff around the league real quickly. And sure. did you get a chance to sit down? I, I literally, I'm not even kidding, Adam. My wife and I, I was watching the Tennessee-Kentucky basketball game on Saturday, and immediately after that, the Vegas-Colorado game at Lake Tahoe came on. And I just sort of, like, flipped right over and went to that. And so my wife and I was, you know, she was watching the basketball game. She stayed in the room, basically, for a few minutes of the hockey game. And I just said, dude, look at this. And I know you had seen the the images that were kind of coming out of there as they built the rink throughout the course of the week. But the visual imagery of that setting is absolutely stunning. My wife and I were looking at flights to Lake Tahoe during the game. You can get there from Nashville direct for like, you know, round trip for like 250 bucks. We were like, oh, maybe in May we should go out to Lake Tahoe. Where does one fly to get to Lake Tahoe? Las Vegas? I I think it's Reno, I think. Reno. I think it's a Reno-Tahoe airport combo, unless you got a Mm. private jet. Um, But, you know, it was just... Which you don't. Which we don't (laughs) <laughs> but we we had fun, you know, kind of dreaming, right? Like as as couples do after a pandemic, as one does. Um, I just first of all, it was just spectacular, and and second of all, where else in the country do you want to see this happen? Forget cities, forget arenas, forget outdoor games in Nashville. I know we want one. I know we deserve one. But what? <laughs> where else do you want to see it? Yeah, that's a good question, and and, and I thought the. The, the scenery in Lake Tahoe was breathtaking. I have never been. I, like you, was looking at my Marriott app to see what hotels were available <laughs> in the Lake Tahoe area. I believe there was a Ritz-Carlton or a JW Marriott, which is out of my price range, um, but it looked gorgeous. Uh, my favorite part of the weekend, though, was, well, it wasn't great that the game had to be delayed because of weather, but Gary Bettman did an interview on NBC uh, when that decision was made and said, quote, sunshine has always been our enemy. And it made me think of angry son from super Mario brothers three. You remember like you would do the, there would be the desert levels and you would run and the, the, the sun would like 
glare at you, no pun intended, and would like chase you and try to hurt you. So like that was my first thought when the sunshine was always been our enemy. I thought of Super Mario Brothers three. Um, <laughs> I, I was so that, a, I was a Sega guy, unfortunately. We we talked about that, and I think you're wrong. But the um, but it was it was wonderful in terms of the scenery. Now the NHL was able to do this. Also, the other great thing about the entire weekend um, was the '90s themed outfits that the Boston Bruins wore: the neon and the the big sunglasses and the fanny packs and you know I don't they think like they were I, I don't think it's 90s themes anymore I think it's like 2021 cool it might be but though they were they they originated in the 90s um so I I really like that the one thing I did not see through all the pictures is what Craig Smith decided to wear I'd be very curious what kind of 90s garb Craig Smith would wear I would see him dressing more like Kurt Cobain you know, I could see yeah, him yeah. in the ribbed jeans and the flannel, even though that doesn't really go with the uh, neon ski resort vibe that the Bruins were going for overall. Like hot, like um, hot, tub, hot tub time machine vibe. Um, yeah, but, like, but, uh, but he, yeah. he's more of, yeah, no, he's like his, his music taste is far more like grunge rock hair metal from like the, the early 90s. There's no question about that. Um, no, how, sure. about, um, how about how about Niagara Falls? Which side of the which side of the line the the uh, you know New York after, side or the Ontario side? How about how about the red line is on the line? Why not just build the rink in the actual falls and then have <laughs> the and then have the 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 um the uh, what's the called what's it called the boat the uh, the scenic boat you know that goes yeah. around the falls. Yes. Just, but what no, I was but, saying, but like what, I'm, I'm trying to think of like because I could put like obviously the Grand Canyon, you Yosemite, like we could you know having. Having El Cap behind you would be unbelievable. I'm just trying to come up with a place where like hockey is really meaningful. It's also extremely scenic and it would work. I know we want to do non-traditional stuff. Obviously, we want an outdoor game in Nashville. Vegas is trying to get an outdoor game. I don't know how, you know, some scientists are going to have to figure that one out. But I, I just think like Ni Niagara Falls is the first place that came to mind where I know that it's like a bunch of hockey crazy people, a beautiful setting. You know, you could sort of show two countries together. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was a good, that's, that's my idea, Adam. Don't, you know, don't just. Personally, I've actually never been to Niagara Falls on the American side. I've been to Niagara Falls on the Canada side. And what I hear is much better on the Canada side than on the American side. Really? In terms of like what's around it. Like, you know, it feels like you know, Niagara Falls, Ontario feels like, like the area right around the falls feels like Reno a little bit, you know, they have all of the stores and I think there might be a casino. Um, you know, I think on the American side, it might be a little uh, less eventful ah. uh, from what I could see do from you, the other side. Do you know that Niagara Falls getting overrun with like people trying to sell things and vendors and like build up is how we, how we invented as a country, the national park system in the entire world. I did not know that we as a country invented the national park system. Uh, I believe Teddy Roosevelt did. Um, and it was because people were going to Niagara Falls being like, this is ugly now. <laughs> and so they wanted, to, they wanted to protect it. And um, it's a uniquely American invention. The entire world, if, you have, if there's a national park anywhere in the world, they got it from the United States of America. America, baby. Well, the problem, Fun the fact problem on the is, of course, that the reason why the NHL was able to do this is because they weren't going to have any fans in attendance. And the NHL is not going to hold these events without attempting to get revenue. So I, I don't expect uh, these these um, these outdoor games and these scenic atmospheres yeah. are going to continue. Um, I expect us to go back to stadiums and such uh, starting next season or whenever fans are allowed back in the building. 
Um, a girl or, can dream, Adam. A girl, a girl can, dream. can dream. Yes, okay. but in terms of where where I think they should play, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think Niagara Falls is a, a good idea. Um, you mentioned the Grand Canyon. Like any um, national park would be cool. Like any, Napa Valley. There we go. You just want to go Yosemite. You just want to take the wife. <laughs> Yosemite National Park. No, speaking of taking the wife, we were very excited uh, about going to Europe uh, before everything went to hell. Remember, the Predators were supposed to start the season in Europe, uh, holding part of training camp in Switzerland before playing exhibition games in Switzerland and then opening the regular season against the Bruins in Prague. And I was going, and Bridget was planning on coming too. Oh. And uh, now we can't do that. Obviously. You might be, you might be the biggest loser of the entire pandemic, which is very insensitive to say. But I just wanted to talk to you. I just want to talk about the things that I missed travel wise because of the yeah. pandemic. I missed my honeymoon, which involved which would have involved Spain and France and Italy. Wow. Um, I missed that trip to Europe with the Predators. Um, my my father and I were going to go to the Battle for Atlantis college basketball tournament over Thanksgiving. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, yeah. So screw that, you, COVID nineteen. Is, is that the Bahamas? Yeah, and yeah. at, at the at the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. Man, so. you're, you've had you've had a tough run, Adam. It's tough. I'm very fortunate, but I <laughs> am also uh, upset that I couldn't go on any of these trips. All right, uh, Central Division power rankings. Uh, Tampa 1, Carolina 2, Florida 3, Chicago 4. I don't know what to do with Columbus, Dallas, and Nashville. Dallas is having an awful time of it right now. Nashville has been the better team against Columbus. If you look at their four games, Nashville's been better than them specifically, but not better over the course of the year. Detroit definitely at 8. So to me, the debate is 5, 6, and 7. You know, points per game, you could talk Dallas as the best one. Columbus has the most total points. Uh, you know, I don't think you can make the case for Nashville. Uh, how, how do you see it in the Central Division right now? Are you ready for this? Let me hear it, baby. Number one, the Florida Panthers, baby. I'm having them number one. All They're 12-3-2. Right. I mean, who would have expected that? Nobody. So I am going to crown them number <laughs> one on my power rankings because of that. I'm going to go Carolina two, Tampa three, Chicago four, Nashville five, Columbus six, Dallas seven, Detroit eight. All right. So what does Nashville have to do to move up? We beat Detroit to win. Win four straight. Five straight. They they need to win their next three games. Okay, that's fair. I'm on I'm on board with that. I can handle that. Is are are you genuinely concerned about Dallas, or is it more just injuries and COVID? Well, they've been playing schedule? very poorly. I think I think they started four and zero, and they're one four and four since then. Then, of course, they had games delayed because of the severe weather um, in in Texas, and unfortunately, they weren't able to skip town and go to Cancun for ten hours, um, like Ted Cruz. Uh, so. I think they're down. Um, Columbus has struggled too, and the Predators took it to them the other night. So I put Nashville ahead of Dallas and Columbus. There's, I mean, um, there's no way Chicago is a top four team at the end of the year, right? I don't think I don't think so, but they are right now. So I know, I know. All I'm right, well, there's that. your there, there's your power rankings, of course, uh, at the end 
of the episode. Uh, special thanks to our wonderful and amazing sponsor, Jaspers, of course. Uh, Casual Eatery, the next evolution of a sports bar, brought to you by Four Top Hospitality and a menu by Deb Paquette. Fantastic desserts, as you heard about, heard us talk during the ad there. Um, grab and go market, 9,000 square feet to socially distance, free parking. Uh, fantastic vibes to go have a good cocktail. Buy the gold standard cocktail. It's a whiskey drink. I had somebody text me a picture of themselves at Jasper's drinking a gold standard with a Pred shirt on watching the game. I was like, that's the goal. That's literally what we're trying to accomplish. So thank you for that uh, and all your support. And uh, I have no problem shamelessly just shilling. Just go to Jasper's, spend some money. Uh, that would be great. Um, Adam, where can people follow you? What should they do at theathletic.com? They should follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. They should subscribe to The Athletic if you already if you haven't already done so. I'm sure most of you have. Um, great stuff on the site, as always, um, this week. Um, my, my recommendation, uh, I recently recommended a story that Katie String wrote about the dysfunction in the Arizona Coyotes organization. Uh, the story I would recommend you taking time to read this week, um, Dan Robson, who does a absolutely phenomenal job um, writing long-form features, wrote this incredible story about Donald Brashear, former NHL player, enforcer, um, who's had a rough go of it lately. Um, really great story. Uh, Dan does such a great job uh, of taking you into his subject's world. Um, you feel like you're a fly on the wall, the way that he describes scenery and describes certain things. Um, you know, as someone who, you know, as someone who absorbs a lot of writing, um, you know, he is someone who I, I look to for uh, inspiration when it comes to my own writing. So um, I would re highly recommend Dan doesn't write a ton uh, because he puts so much work into his stories. Uh, so when he does write something, it's must read. So I would recommend that story on Donald Brashear. There you have it. Sign up for great journalism at theathletic.com. You can follow Adam Vingan on Twitter at Adam Vingan. Thank you as usual for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me at Braden Gall. This has been the gold standard on the 440 Sports Network.